Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and I'm delighted to be joined by our first guest of 2021, Chip Suttles, who I haven't seen for edge. Well, I don't know. It's been forever um, uh, since the 2002 games, but I'm so happy to have you on another person from the technology side of things. Chip, thank you so much for making the time. It's a pleasure to see you once again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. I am you know, honored to be the first guest of 2021, uh, but all things considered, I'm doing great and looking forward to this new year. Well, I'm very happy to be looking at a new year, too. I think all of us are happy to have 2020 in the rearview mirror. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're joining us from and what you're doing these days? So I currently reside in Seattle, Washington. I'm uh, the CIO, Vice President of Technology for the Seattle Seahawks and what we now have named Lumen Field Stadium um, in Seattle. And uh, I'm on my ninth year with the team. I joined the same year as Russell Wilson for you uh, Seahawks fans out there. Um, and it's been a great ride, great experience. Uh, we're, lo- we're loving it here. Well, that's a pretty prime gig, right? Uh, working for an NFL team and then becoming the CIO. So how did that come about? Well, I feel really fortunate. And uh, it came about, I, I think, uh, I really owe my my Olympic career uh, to putting the chips in place uh, so that they fell this direction. Um, I my, my career has taken me all over the world. Um, and and, and we'll, we'll touch on this, I hope, in some of the conversation today. But after uh, Torino, Italy, and then moving to Vancouver, BC to work for the, the 2010 games, um, I was asked to join the Vancouver Canucks NHL hockey team as their head of IT. Um, and I did two years uh, stint with that ownership group in, in Rogers Arena in, in Vancouver. And that opportunity just led uh, to an opening and uh, being in the right place, right time to just be able to interview and, and join the Seahawks down here in Seattle. Well, that's fantastic. Um, you're joining us from home because all of us are working from home these days, it seems like, because of COVID. So how does that impact a National Football League team and your responsibility to manage the technology for that team? Well, early early on, it was quite a challenge. I think I had one of the, the biggest technical and uh, challenges of my career. Uh, the first month that we were uh, quarantined, uh, trying to run a virtual draft um, remotely, um, you know, NFL facilities and, and headquarters spend millions of dollars building out draft rooms and preparing for the draft on an annual basis. And we were told with like two weeks to go that we had to do this remotely at the gentleman at the GM's house, at the you know coach's house and had to do this um, with my team spread all over the place. Uh, so it's just taken a lot more communication. Um, you know, uh, among my team and a, and a lot of effort. I still have some staff, some skeleton staff that go in and support the uh, the football operations team on a daily basis. But for the most part, it's just taking more communication and uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes work remotely to, to make it happen. Well, uh, and kudos to you to, to, to help, you know, figure these kind of things out. I mean, it's not easy to make those kind of uh, seismic shifts uh, in operation on such short time frames. Yeah. As you look ahead to the coming year, I mean, you got the playoffs going on right now. Do you see things reverting back to the way they were before? Or do you see things like, hey, you know, we've learned a lot 
having to do a lot of this stuff remotely and do things in different ways, we might be incorporating some of the lessons that we learned throughout COVID and we'll just kind of build on those for, for the future. Yeah, so it's a great question whether things will change uh, permanently or, or be affected going forward. I think there'll be some degree of, uh, of well, let's start with our culture was not one of remote work. Um, so we, we had to quickly shift to being, uh, we, I don't think a handful of us knew uh, video conferencing tools that uh, we're experienced with today. So that was a quick learning curve for all of us. But everybody's kind of got used to the flexibility and the freedom. And, and realize that they can do a great majority of their job remotely, but there is some element that we need to get back in the building and work together on. So I think it'll be a combination. I think in time it'll return to normal, but I just don't know how long that, that time period will be. I think for now it, it, it'll be, we'll ease back into it. Um, we hope to ease back into it sometime in 2021, get back in the office. Um, and then we'll have some, you know, ability to be flexible with our schedules in our, in our working location going forward. It sounds like that's going to be the approach that our management team is going to take. All right. Well, that's fantastic. We could sit here and talk all day about what you're doing there with the Seahawks, but that's not what we're here for. Before we get into the memories of Salt Lake 2002, though, I had two questions that I had sent to you in a little bit of an outline. One of those was a question something most people don't know about you, uh, you know, some kind of fun fact that, you know, of course, you'd be comfortable sharing. Uh, um, but is there something uh, that the people that you've worked with through Salt Lake, Torino, Vancouver, uh, the work that you're doing now, is there something interesting about you that most people don't know? Well, uh, you know, I thought about it and, and where I could go with this, but I, I think uh, one of the things that comes to mind, certainly uh, it's been a passion of mine the last 10 to 15 years, is I'm a big motorcycle enthusiast. So I, I take a couple trips a year with family and friends just to explore the, the great scenic highways of the U.S. And, um, you know, I think the open road is, is just relaxing and spiritual to me. And it's one of the last uh, real you know, feelings of freedom I think you can you can have. And to me, it's a great way to spend time with uh, my father, my uncle and some of my cousins and, uh, and, and friends from around the country um, that just meet up and, and explore and, you know, get some discovery in and just have a great time. Chip Suttles, biker dude. Okay, we didn't know that one. All right. My second question for you, and I think that's fantastic, by the way. Uh, my second question was, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, we've now turned the calendar to 2021. Is there something that you want to do this year in 2021 that you could not do in 2020 because of the pandemic? Oh, it, it starts with uh, travel. Uh, I certainly miss it. Uh, being able to travel in a free and a safe manner um, to be able to attend a Seahawks away games for me personally uh, would be great. But just to get, just to just to travel, I miss that a lot um, to be able to attend conferences, catch up with colleagues around the country um, and just have that freedom to, to get out. Um, I got a, I'm saying this because I have a little bit of cabin fever after being home here for nine months, but, uh, but certainly can't wait to get back on the plane and, uh, and get out and see some people. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I think I made two business trips last year uh, before COVID hit, and then that was it. Uh, shut down and no travel since then. So I understand the cabin fever a lot. All right, let's go back to Salt Lake 2002. You mentioned that you came from Richmond, Virginia. What were you doing before the 2002 games came knocking at your door? And how did you find yourself in Salt Lake City? 
Yeah, for me, um, after college in, in Richmond, uh, attending VCU and a small stint in the U.S. Navy, um, I really started my first professional job and my whole Olympic journey with the Atlanta 96 uh, Games. Um, officially, I was the assistant venue technology manager for Olympic Stadium and opening and closing ceremonies, which was, was a lot of responsibility for a first-time job. I think I was 24, um, and as old cliche goes, I was thrown in the deep end. I think I had 18 direct reports, and I felt like I could never get it all done. So there were a lot of 16-hour days and seven days a week. And, you know, the whole time I'm thinking – this is a chance of a lifetime, uh, you know, work for the Olympic games. So just, just make it happen. Just get it done. And, you know, I pre I've tried to be, you know, omnipresent and appreciate every day. Um, but I could still feel the emotions that it brought, you know, during the opening ceremonies, you know, as I can, I can still feel that tear running down my cheek as I watched the opening ceremonies and all the hard work that myself and my colleagues have put into making it happen. So that's where I started. And then realizing that I, um, quickly that I needed to improve and build on my professional skill set. Um, I stayed in Atlanta uh, with a couple of my Atlanta games colleagues, um, Dean Dickey and Michael Lee. We went to work for a startup IT project management company there based in Atlanta during the dot-com bubble time period. Um, and, you know, it was, it was based out of Atlanta, but it was a full-time traveling job. Um, and we had more business than we could handle. So we were on the road all the time. And uh, it was it was three years of constant travel, but I learned a lot. I got some you know, professional certification and project management, got to work on a very a bunch of varied types of IT projects and build up my skill set. So it was just a great experience. Um, so that's what I was doing after the Atlanta Games leading up to Salt Lake. And then uh, a good friend of mine from the Atlanta Games, Kelly Brown, called me one day and said, look, I'm the, I'm the director of uh, IT infrastructure here in Salt Lake for the Games. And I know you want to get off the road and start a family and um, you want to come join me and share my role here in Salt Lake. And I said, I've never been to Salt Lake, but I am in, I am just tired of getting on a plane and uh, I'd love to join you. I'd love to re, you know, have another opportunity to do the games again. And uh, that's how, that's how I ended up in, in Salt Lake was uh, Kelly Brown and Alice Mahmood extending the invitation to come out and visit and check it out. And that led to a, a job offer. So what specifically did they have you doing uh, there in Salt Lake City? What was your role? So Kelly and I split her, her role in two. We, we led IT infrastructure planning for the Olympic Games in Salt Lake, which, went, which meant we, uh, we kind of planned, deployed, and had operational responsibility for all the technology, the timing, scoring, integration, and all the venues. Now, we did everything except telecommunications. That was a separate department uh, during the Salt Lake Games. But we, we did all the planning, um, you know, integration, the building out the venues, and then we hired and filled all the IT staff that was required to to actually run the games during during the um, the games period, so um, I, we kind of split responsibilities. I had all the mountain venues, with with the exception I didn't. I kept the E Center because I was a big hockey fan, and Kelly took all the indoor facilities, um, and that that's kind of the role um, during the actual games. I was stationed out of uh, or I called uh, Snow Base in my home base venue, and on non-event days, I just traveled around and made sure and supported all the other venues that were in my portfolio. All right. Well, I want to get into a day in the life of chip settles during games time in a little while. But before we do that, I want to come back to coming from Atlanta to Salt Lake. You mentioned you'd never been to Salt Lake City before. So two components to that. Number one, what was the timing? When was it you actually started? Then number two, what were your first impressions of Utah? And for you, what was life like 
uh, here in the great state of Utah. Right. So we moved to Salt Lake in December of 99. Well, it seems like a long time ago. So, and we, you know, I was living, uh, I think in a hotel and, and sugar house, uh, as we were getting settled and it was raining a lot. It was a winter time. And we were like, what did we get ourselves into? But it didn't take long for, uh, we absolutely fell in love with the place. And, uh, when I saw you had sent me some questions here before our discussion today. And when I saw this one, I thought this was my favorite one because, uh, my wife, Lauren and I, we absolutely loved it because it just holds so many great memories for us. Um, you know, we got married shortly after moving to Salt Lake. Uh, we had our first child there in Salt Lake. We bought our first house. Um, and it just time has just flown. And you know, that my son, Tyler, who was born in Salt Lake, he's a, He's now 19. He's a sophomore at, at Washington State University, and it's just it's just gone by so so fast. So I mean, what we miss, you know, about it and why it was so great to us is, I think it was all the friends that we made. You know, all primarily my game colleagues, and everybody was kind of leading a very active and outdoor lifestyle, and we were really into the mountain biking and skiing pursuits, and um, you know, just found it to be a real social uh, community of colleagues, and we got out a lot and. It was the people, I think, that made the difference, um, you know, both the, the, the organized committee people, but the community itself uh, really embraced us. And uh, I think it was just great folks to, to work with and get to know. And a lot of those folks I've stayed in touch with uh, even today, you know, 20 years later, um, we're, you know, still still stay in touch with pretty routinely. Yeah, I think that's for me and a lot of people that we've talked to on the podcast is one of the greatest legacies of the games. So, and these events uh, generally is the relationships that are formed as you do very hard things and you do very fun things. You know, uh, you talked about working in Atlanta and working 16 and 18 hour days, seven days a week. And it was really, really tough. And I want to get to the tough parts uh, soon, but we've we've had several people come on and say you, you work really hard, but you can also play hard, too. What were some of the fun things that you did or some really you know funny or hilarious things that happened uh, during your tenure here in Salt Lake City? Oh, I, I'd love to tell you stories about some of the things that took place at our Cinco de Mayo parties, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to table that one, Chris. <laughs> um, and we were, were able to host a couple of those in, in our time in Salt Lake. But to me, I think back about all the dinners, especially with my international colleagues, um, folks like Geir Grimm and Vaco um, from, from Norway and Sweden and, uh, and a lot of our British colleagues and just, you know, just getting to know them, having dinners, uh, exploring Salt Lake, whether it was hikes or, or getting out skiing. Um, that, that was just, the, you know, to me, that was the greatest experience of it, of it all. Um, I don't really have anything that I was trying to find a, a really funny story that, that stood out. But um, I, I ran a couple by my wife and she's like, no, that's not really appropriate. So <laughs> I'll hold back on those. <laughs> I think just, you know, having the dinners with, with friends and, and, uh, and getting to know people was, was, was the best time that we had. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I imagine that the statute of limitations has passed on a few of those items, but we'll, we'll let you keep them uh, close to the chest for now. Uh, let's, let's go to the hard things then. Now, you came in with a bit of an advantage because, you know, some of us, like me, Salt Lake 2002 was our first games, but you had Atlanta under your belt and you had, and you, you had a bit of professional seasoning after Atlanta. So, you come into Salt Lake, what were some of the challenges that you faced and what were some of the ways that you overcame those challenges? Well, 
I'll give a shout out to my my IT colleagues. So we we do a lot of things in the background, make a lot of decisions, come up with a lot of solutions that are just never really seen, you know, by the public or too you know that spread too far within the, the organized committee. You know, we have to decide on cable pass and power layouts and conduit and, you know, flows and, you know, um, and, and choosing and, and making the compromises on the right technology for the right people and right functions to get their job done. So a lot of that stuff is behind the scenes and we probably never get the credit for making those things happen to, you know, make it happen. Um, so I was trying to think of one specific thing and the, and the one that comes to mind the, the most, uh, on the challenges thing that I had to overcome was, uh, I was thinking, well, I, I know it's supposed to be about Salt Lake, but it, it goes back to the Atlanta games in the in the outdoor press box at Olympic Stadium. Um, in Atlanta, you get these afternoon thunderstorms every day uh, between four and six or four and seven, um, and they they roll in quickly. And we had all this outdoor equipment that was not so mobile at the time that we had to protect, um, and it was exposed from sunlight and and from these rain showers. So we came up with um, a vinyl and a PVC pipe and some Velcro um, and made up a tarp that rolled up that you could quickly deploy and protect the equipment and protect the press box area. Uh, they, they exposed pre press box area during, during these, uh, um, these natural current events. And uh, so that was one I was really proud of from Atlanta. I, I'm still trying to think of one in Salt Lake. I just, you know, we were so buttoned up and, and uh, the team was so professional. We, you know, all the challenges were, 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 were identified and captured air early so I didn't think there was anything that really, really stumped us in, in Salt Lake. Well, how did you deal with the elements there in Salt Lake, right? You talked about the elements in Atlanta with the afternoon thunderstorms, but you're working outdoor venues in Salt Lake and you've got snow to deal with. You got weather conditions. It can, there can be wind. So were there any particular uh, challenges in installing or operating the technologies there in the mountain venues there? Oh, certainly, certainly. So just a little recap for, for those that are taking back 20 years. Um, we had a lot of storm leading up to the games in Salt Lake in, in 2002. Um, and which was great. And it was great for the games. It was, it was, it was great to have that foundation at, at all the resorts. Um, and then we just had this period of extremely cold weather. So we had a couple of challenges. We had a lot of snow to deal with, a lot of snow to move to make the mountain venues and the downhill courses and, uh, everything, you know, competitive and, and fair and, uh, and, you know, be able to run time and scoring. Uh, so that was a challenge moving all, moving all that snow without cutting cables. And there was the occasional cable cut. It just happens. So there was um, a lot of frantic repairs that, that took place behind the scenes in, in some cases. Uh, and then when everything freezes, that poses a whole nother challenge. Now you got, you know, your cable overlays are hard to get to. It's hard to move snow. It's hard to prepare the courses. So, you know, that's not on, IT or something I did personally, but from a team perspective, everybody working together, um, there were there were some challenges that were caused by the weather there um, for sure. Um, and I just remember it. Um, you know, uh, we did get some snow in Snow Basin. We had some we had some weather delays um, there that we had to that we had to compete with. But I do remember just how how cold it got during the games that two week period of the games. It it, it sticks in my mind because. Salt Lake usually wasn't that cold uh, on average, but during that period of the games, it was certainly a cold streak going on. All right. So this comes back to my day in the life question. So you mentioned you were at Snow Basin. 
that was kind of home base for you during the games. And then you were just kind of uh, roaming around and taking care of things uh, when competitions weren't being held there in Snow Basin. So give us a sense of uh, what life was like for you uh, leading up to and during games time. Yeah. So during, well, I think it'll start with um, Snow Basin was my home venue. I looked after IT there as a venue tech manager. And then I supported all the other ones that uh, all the other outdoor venues that um, that we had done put in the planning for. So I would start my day. Uh, I had a house in Sugar um, in Sugar House area of uh, Salt Lake, and so I would leave Sugar House and drive to Snow Basin, which was almost an hour uh, drive door to door. Which was to me, it was great because I'd leave early in the morning. It was a peaceful drive, and you know, it was the Olympic game period. It was a good feeling just to drive down there. Um, certainly, check into the venue. We'd have our venue management meetings. Um, Adam, Adam Gray and, and Callum and um, our team would get together and, uh, you know, do our daily briefings. Um, the first thing we did was look at the weather and whether the day's events were going to be uh, able to be pulled off on the, at the time they were scheduled for. Um, you know, so we, we'd go through that, that procedure. And then if there was a delay or it was a cancellation, um, you know, we, we, we'd make the appropriate plans to, to support it. Um, if there was going to be no event, um, I would usually check in and then I would go to the next venue. I'd probably, I'd go out to Park City or Heber Valley and, and support the outdoor venues and just check on and see if I could support the team there in some manner. Um, but that was, that was typically the day. Um, it was just, it, you know, after you, you mentioned, uh, had the experience of Atlanta and, and then and had that advantage coming into Salt Lake. I just felt like um, the folks in Salt Lake, they, uh, it was so, it was another level of professionalism. I felt like in Atlanta, we were struggling to get things done at the last minute and we were right up until game time. Whereas Salt Lake, I felt like we were ready to go a month advance before the games. And I just felt like we, we had taken it, the planning and the professionalism and the training and uh, the rehearsals and all had, had put us in a better position to support the games. And I just felt way more comfortable and confident going in into the Salt Lake games than it did in Atlanta. Well, Salt Lake was the beneficiary of being at the tail end of World Cup, you know, 94 here in the States, Atlanta, 96, and then Sydney, 2000. You mentioned Adam Gray and Callum. We had a lot of Sydney people that came in after the conclusion of those games. And I felt like we we were lucky and that we had people coming from Atlanta. We had people coming from World Cup and we had people coming from Sydney. And then we had a lot of local talent and the combination of all those things, I think, uh, really helped under the leadership of Mitt and Frazier uh, as well to really deliver what I think were really excellently managed games. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I certainly um, I think Mitt, Mitt and Frazier, who had started um, shortly after I came aboard, um, you know, I thought they their leadership was impeccable and uh, my, my brief interactions with them both were, were fantastic. And, but the way they supported the organization decisions they made um, certainly, you know, shine through. All right. Well, we end the segment uh, on the goosebump moment for you. But before we get to the goosebump moment, I wanted to just make sure we had a little bit of time. If there are any other stories that you wanted to share from Salt Lake City, uh, you've mentioned some really great people that you worked with. Any any particular stories that you want to share before we get to our our final inspirational slot moment? Well, 
Um, not, I don't, I don't have anyone that comes to mind. I just, uh, you know, I enjoyed working with everybody I came across there. I, I think it, it was just a great collection or cast of, uh, of organized committee staff. And, you know, to me, you know, it just, it was a lot going on in my life at the time. Like I said, first house, first, you know, just getting married, having a, having a kid and, 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 and putting, uh, unfortunately we had the, the event of nine 11 take place and then, and the games taking place. And then, on top of that, I'd been offered a job to to go to Torino, Italy. So I had the whole mindset around moving to Europe, following the games. And so it was a lot of going on in my life, but uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was just a great time for me to be growing and, and in my professional life and personal life. All right. Well, I want to get to Torino in a moment. But before we do, let's get to the most inspirational slot <laughs> moment. That that one that just gives you all the, the the warm, fuzzy feelings whenever you think about it. Well, I didn't make it out to Metals Plaza, but, but on a couple occasions. Um, but one, one evening uh, stands out. It was uh, the Dave Matthews band was the performing um, at the Metals Plaza in downtown Salt Lake. Um, and I was just looking at, it was a beautiful, clear, cold night. And I was just looking out at the buildings, the Olympic banners on the downtown buildings and you know, in the Salt Lake skyline. And I was like, this is just transformed into an Olympic city. You know, it's just amazing. And just, you know, at some points, if you can, if you can bring yourself to being present, you know, it hits you and it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is what it's all about. This is, you know, this is what we work so hard for. And um, this is what the world's watching. And, you know, it was just, just proud to be a part of it. Well, Salt Lake was uh, one important component, but one element of, or one step in a, in a lengthy Olympic and sports journey for you. You talked about going on to Torino after the Salt Lake Games had concluded. You worked in Vancouver. So I actually want to wrap up with this because clearly you've learned a lot of things along the way. So, um, and, I, and I asked this question because, and it's a new question, but I ask it because several people that have listened to this podcast have said, you know, I actually learned things by listening to this podcast and it was really helpful. Uh, so you've had a fantastic career by anyone's estimation. What advice would you give to people who are listening and specifically what three pieces of advice that could be life advice, that could be career advice, whatever, uh, that, that you learned while you were in Salt Lake or, or other stops on your, on your career journey, and the, you know, these pieces of advice really serve as guiding principles in your life, things that you could recommend to, to other people. Well, it's a tough question, but, uh, let me, uh, I'll take a stab at it. Um, in life, there's a saying that you're only as good as your word. Um, and I don't think it's a more revenant, revenant, uh, saying than in the event world. Um, I can only think that this has kind of led to some opportunities in my life and, for example, um, the Seahawks, when um, the Seattle Seahawks were, um, when I had the opportunity to apply and I went through a, a six or seven interviews, um, I found out that a couple of my colleagues there, at the, my current colleagues at the Seahawks were former Olympic planning committee colleagues, uh, Gary Wright and Suzanne Lavender. Um, Suzanne worked in the Atlanta games and Gary worked at several games, including Salt Lake. And, you know, just to see them and have know we had that shared experience. I didn't know them during those games periods, but know that we had been through that together. That we had uh, we had put in that that sweat equity, and uh, you know, they, and they knew me a reputation. Um, you know, it, it I think it led to you know a little confirmation that I was the right person for the job at the Seahawks. So um, I think 
you know, doing what you say, say what you do, um, goes a long way. So that's one for me, uh, I've been a big fan of networking over the years and never burning a bridge. So you just don't know where life's going to take you and who you're going to come, come across. Uh, the great thing about this Olympic community and games planning community in general is I built these, I built these friendships, but you could more classify them as acquaintances, but they're great acquaintances. I I've had the opportunity to run and run across folks, uh, in different cities around the U S but different, different cities around the world. Um, you know, before we were locked down with COVID, I had the opportunity to go to London in February with one of my sons and I ran across a couple of my colleagues and I hadn't seen them in 15 years, but it was just the instant rekindling of friendship and, um, connection, uh, just, you know, to, to be able to see him again and uh, to have lunch and sit down and break bread. And, you know, and it was just, so it's, it's important to, you know, not burn the bridge to stay connected. And it's amazing how many folks, uh, internationally that I know it's not many places in the world I can go now that I don't have some connection and primarily due to the, my games experience. So, um, and then the third one is one that I, I'm striving to to be better at. I, I mentioned it earlier in, in the discussion is um, to be omnipresent and kind of enjoy the moment uh, and be in the moment. Um, I got some great leaders in my organization. Um, the, the one that leads most by example for, for me on this is Pete Carroll, our, our head coach. Um, I think it's just so hard in this day and age with so many distractions and so many things going on to just be omnipresent. And he does it better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. So it's something I'm always trying to work on in conversations, uh, you know, I'm trying to teach this and instill this into my sons is just, you know, let's block out everything. And when you're talking to somebody or when you're on a task, just focus on, on that task and, and, and be in the moment. And I think it'll serve you well. Well, I think that's excellent advice. And that last point is, uh, is quite interesting. I I'm not a musician, but on occasion I play the guitar just for relaxation. But I've noticed that if I have any kind of distraction at all, if, if you lose focus, then then you you have difficulty playing. <laughs> you make mistakes and you make mistakes because you you let some kind of thought uh, distract you. And and that was a that was a good lesson for me to do what you just recommended, which is just to stay present and stay in the moment uh, and, and stay focused which is not easy to do when you have so many different things thrown at you, particularly in the times that we're living in now, which are just nuts. So I think that's fantastic advice, uh, Chip. I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time and, and sharing that with us. Now, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing with the Seahawks, or they just want to reconnect and share some memories of uh, previous games, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so Chip Suttles at and LinkedIn, and um, so that's probably the best way to to, to find me um, if you want to reach out and reconnect. Um, certainly, love to hear from some folks out there that uh, that I haven't heard from in a while. So, uh, and thank you again for having me on and to being your first guest of 2021. I I hope that uh, the majority of these uh, of these world's troubles are behind us, and that we're we're looking for a brighter 21 for all of us. Well, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy to see 2020 go away. I uh, don't want to relive that. And we've got our work cut out for us for 2021, but I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. So Chip, uh, again, thank you very much. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our humble little podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Chip, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.